welcome to the podcast that unveils the future of investing. In each episode, we explore asset classes, trends and technologies with founders, investors and experts involved into shaping that future. Today, your host George Aliferis is meeting Elliot Locke, the founder and CEO of Abroaden, a wealth building platform for people leaving abroad. Thank you very much, George, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. To kick off, could you tell us about your background and how you came up with the idea for Abroden? Sure. I'm originally from the United States, but I moved to Europe in 2002, and I've lived on this side of the world ever since. I've been living abroad pretty much more than half of my life right now. I landed in Belgium at first and stayed there for almost 15 years. Went to university there. I met my wife there. And after I graduated, I wound up getting a job with a quick one-year detour teaching English to children during the the worst part of the financial crisis, I wound up getting a job in institutional banking uh, at a place called Eurocordank, where there I was doing cross-border security settlement ops and helping out on different projects, including product development, deploying a new team into a, a back office in, in Poland. Yeah, so during that entire time, I was pretty much overseeing securities going back and forth around the world in vast amounts of, of sums to the point that numbers in the buildings have been uh, completely desensitized to me, which probably isn't so good if you're starting a, a startup, but that's what it was. So after about almost 15 years in Belgium, my wife and I decided we wanted to travel a little bit. I took her a year off to, to backpack a little bit in different parts of the world. I went back to the U.S. for a little bit to come back home. And then afterwards, we came back to Belgium. I'm like, we want to keep the adventure going. We also like sunshine. We like the sea. We like to go snowboarding. And we also like to have decent jobs. And Pretty, and we wanted to stay in Europe. Pretty much Barcelona checked all those boxes and we wound up moving here in 2016. And I, for whatever luck, got the first job I applied for. And that was at a B2B FinTech here in Barcelona that specializes in FX currency management. And I hopped into the marketing department doing content creation. For whatever reason, I've always been in fairly proficient and it was a great intro into FinTech, moving from one of the you know, largest banks in the institutional banking space to a, a very small and nimble fintech was certainly an educational experience. Um, yeah, after the, uh, a while in there, they shifted to a different marketing strategy. I wound up doing some freelancing work for an open banking company here in Barcelona, doing content creation for them. But like around 2017, 2018, I started thinking about maybe more long-term investments. And it's always been something that's been in the back of my mind. And as an American, it's in our culture. Like we are born, uh, with the mentality that invest, grow your wealth, it's good to do. Take that risk, grow, financially grow. And obviously, I hate put that aside, like many people did. Or other times, like, oh, hey, what about investing? What about, why can't I do this? And I started thinking back to my previous experiences, trying to do it. And I realized most of the financial products and investment products weren't really made for people like me. In Belgium, for example, if you want to invest, you usually go to your, first you go and buy real estate because Belgium, like most countries in Europe, cultures has this, addiction to buying real estate. And if you're not doing that, you're probably going to go buy a fund from your bank, which absolutely is not made for people who aren't going to spend their entire lives. And for that, and then also because the, the stats that there was no citizen living abroad and it's just impossible for us to invest, I put it off. Anyways, after all this time thinking about it, I said, hey, right now we're at this new age. We have a more cohesive European a regulatory environment. We had MIFID 2 that was just coming out. So why can't we solve this problem? Why can't we take advantage of these new rules to create an online investment tool, something very transparent, very low cost, to help expats like myself find making marriage investments, but ones that can go across borders 
occasionally, or we, wherever we move to another country, or we're not going to wind up with uh, positions stuck in other countries and having to do all sorts of nasty tax reporting. And even to a more personal level than American living abroad, I know in our, our, our community that this is an, a huge pain point due to the U.S. taxation system. And maybe some of your listeners know, especially in the regulatory space, would probably know the, the acronym FATCA, the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act. We're pretty much far from opening up investment accounts in foreign institutions. And along with our taxation system, it's not possible, sir. Again, being, I guess, a very stubborn person with a financial background, I started to look on how to solve that. So we've had this two-track idea to A, help everyone living abroad build their wealth in a very transparent way, and B, also solve this very pressing thing for Americans abroad. When we talk about, when I talk about people living abroad, I'm talking about expats, remote workers, but not really what you think of as, I guess, your grandfather. It's not what it was 30, 30 years ago, where people were uh, sent abroad by their company and they would go to the other side of the world where there was no uh, comparable local talent. I mean, they these handsome re-generation passages. They're getting the kids' school paying for the house, the money, the whole shebang. Those people, they niche of our community. And personally, I think post-pandemic, they're more or less going to disappear. But I'm talking about the people who say, hey, you know what? I want to go on an adventure. I'm going to go live somewhere else. I want to experience a different culture and you usually get sucked into it and, and you wind up getting a job on a local contract or Dallas we're seeing more and more remote working but it's this community this middle class group of people who also need these sorts of transparent wealth building services but filled so that they're not going to have to leave behind the elevator pitch was the trend for people working remotely during the pandemic a key factor influencing your decision First, at the initial ideas before the pandemic, Alan, I had taken a desk and a co-working gear after my 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 gig at the FinTech gear ended, and that was actually quite cool because this is still 2019, 2019 before all this remote work became into the mainstream. They were still remote workers there, uh, and again, like they have these very unique pain points where you know you are if you're going to work remotely from another country, you're probably either going to have to become a freelancer. Because you you move to another country you and you're employed in another, you lose the rights of the labor laws and the taxation system where you're employed. So what will happen is you're either going to be a, a freelancer or you're going to work with an employee of record. Uh, and actually, over the pandemic, we've seen tons of investment from this season in this space. Companies can be a remote, uh, the Biogold, uh, all raising hundreds of millions of euros, hundreds of millions of dollars. So you're either going to be one or two. You're going to work under an employer record on a local contract or you're going to be working as a freelancer. And I believe that this is going to be a mutual remark. I think most employers are remote workers to be, to be haven't captured that sort of uh, parameter they have to deal with in terms of things to figure out how to invigorate set themselves up. But we also see ourselves as, hey, we know how remote workers are, whether it was beforehand, and this is a market we're going to see expanding, and we think that we can also help them have a much more financially enriching mind on top of There seems to be a few challenges here. Investing, and then there's retirement potentially, salary payment. How are you addressing them? Sure. So, again, it goes down to this relatively new concept, the regulatory environment that's we fit to. And the concept is financial services should be under a standardized format. The rules are the same. The structure of financial product should be in a very similar format. And yet, despite this commonality, the vast majority of P2C investment services are geared and structured towards a domestic-only audience. 
And um, mm. that makes a lot of sense, right? Especially in bigger countries like here in Spain, France, Germany, even if you have tens of millions of uh, potential consumers and throughout the journey or over long-term investing, there, there are plenty of local incentives. For example, pension plans here in Spain aren't really done to the employer, but through a bank, right? And you get a, a tax credit of 2,000 euros a year that you can contribute into limit plans that lowers your tax hit. And that's all well and good if you're never going to lose. Problem is, is, well, what happens if you lose things? Well, that pension plan, even if it technically could be registered across Europe, now that local robo-advisor could be registered across Europe, they don't do it because they don't see the value proposition to it, which means once you leave, it's not going to come with you. So with a broader, and how we're doing this, instead of us becoming a brokerage direct, as robo-advisors have to set up in Europe, is we're pretty much building on top of the rails of the regulated what I would call a brokerage as a service provider. Um, and they let us build on top of their stack and we build our UX on top of that. And then that way, between us, where we have a partnership and we can provide agreed upon portfolios between our platform and their passported across the case, we can instantly deliver our value proposition and operate in whatever countries more. And on the flip side of that is we look at investment products as well that can cross border as well. The other benefit of anything too, my person of the usage rules is that you need to think any collective fund under the usets, that's usets compliant. If it's registered to be authorized and marketed in that country, then it's treated as a domestic investment. So you see a lot of ETFs and that's our core, um, not really trying to reinvent the wheel, but ETFs with real fast product. You see a lot of ETFs, especially the bigger ones that are registered in the Luxembourg and Ireland and passported across the block. Those are fantastic that they, they act as domestic instruments for taxation purposes. And so that's where we see our, our ability to provide, you know, a curated or tax of portfolios for our users, along with a service that we can be in each market and operate in, all without us having to do this directly. And how would you describe that fragmented experience for, say, a digital nomad at the moment? Because a lot of the robo-advisors and investment um, services on the market, there's are usually your taxable account. Accounts like ISAs, individual savings accounts, to the American listeners, they're the equivalent of a, a, an IRA account. They, they still need, there's no common I, ISA or IRA account, but there are these little plans in each individual country. And a lot of investment advisors will say, all right, a little tax booth investment for you, but we're also going to build on top of local pension plan. So they're really focusing on like being optimized in that market. They know it's really thought how to do this, but without being country agnostic. How do you build this country agnostic framework? Where do you start? So for our launch, we're based here in Barcelona. As, aside from being a phenomenal sort of capital in Europe, uh, they're in the Barcelona region alone, there's over 300,000 expats. They're good for us. Uh, I don't we convert them all, but not a bad start. In terms of, you know, market ability, We'll have the passport across the EU, uh, plus the UK, because our provider is uh, a London-based firm and they're getting their new license set up to set it down. In terms of rappers, actually, perversely, we try to avoid them just for the fact that they are standardized and a tax wrapper from one country could be seen as uh, tax evasion in another, where they could claim all of the capital gains that are happening tax-free with a wrapper. What I would love to see is in the next iteration, even as a separate rule coming out of the EU, is to create a new why I said, just because this sort of tool makes it so to advance, it takes a lot of the risk when it comes out of the equation. I don't have to worry about dealing with the taxes on a 
at all, basically, because everything's protected in that wrapper. On the flip side, there are some insurance products out there that's sort of brand. It's actually in the expat community, there are expat advisors who sell life insurance that takes really just a wrapper. The problem is that if they're all onshore, are regulated and need unified. Regulators barely, really don't care for them, especially since they're full of very high speeds, penalties for leaving early. Not uncommon in like the first situation you're paying uh, the annual fees, which is if you actually try to avoid wrappers from possible, and so we can lobby Brussels to do what we want them to do for us, like that's not really a good uh, startup strategy. So we avoid that where possible. Obviously, if a user has something like that, we don't say, hey, get out of there, but we find a way to manage it. We built a very robust database with all the tax rules across the countries we can operate in their limit. Help us give us a more holistic picture of what our users, they are respectful and move how we manage in each country. Now, moving to abroad in itself, what were the key objectives when you were building the app and also the challenges? I, I think whatever's going to happen in retail investment space, UX is going to be the driver of who's going to succeed or not. And I'm not a designer. Neither is my co-founder. He's a wonderful programmer himself. He's a RCCO. But for us, what we've been looking at is how we can outsource to other providers and what we can build on top of. I, in the run-up to this project, I learned uh, probably enough Python to make a game from us. This shouldn't, yeah, I just wanted to be able to talk to and for the product in my mm-hmm. We went to an incubator last year, F10, which is a wonderful FinTech and Gideon building. And the night before demo day, I had the wonderful idea of creating the blog, build it, we fix that uh, after demo day, we blah, blah. But yeah, so I'd say the biggest challenge is to me is like, I have an understanding of what I want to do. I see what you want to build. And what is important for me is to convey that message in a coherent way. Not only the CTO, but also to when I'm talking to different providers, when I'm talking to the UX studios, or when I'm looking at different rails we want to plug this, just to make sure I understand what's going on there. And that it's not only providing what I want to do from a business point of view, or from financially, if it makes sense, but that it's not upsetting far stack, it's not going to give the CTO an ulcer because he's sitting there trying to patch together all the different languages that maybe don't play nice. And it's, it's a lot of understanding, a lot of, I guess, translation is probably the first way to it. You know, you speak different languages. You... And how important, how critical is that minimum technical background for you? I think probably the biggest benefit of learning the code, and I kind of went down the data science path looking more at the financial algorithm side, and I was just quite fun. So I, I think probably the more important one, and I think anyone wanting to get into this space, tackle and others should take a course, to the fact that you can understand the language. You can go into like the docs of a provider and everything is going to be built on top of rail. And you can go through and actually read the docs and understand what it's doing. You can look at different fields, you can see these requirements for the language. Mind if the CEO says, Hey, this is quite interesting. What do you think of what they're offering? Does that mean what we want to do? And I thought immediately, this is mean, hey, I can read the marketing language on one side, fine, but does tech deliver what I have in my head? And vice versa. I think if I see something that I couldn't say it's a cool, I'll go to the death page. And that that's what's been more of a benefit. I have a ton of respect for coders. I'm a, I would probably be a terrible one. I had to a profession. But I, I'm glad I have the skill set, and I think everyone should be able to do it. But interesting on that, we have one of our interns, she's in her second year of Uden here. She helps us do data projects. She's studying business, and they are teaching them R. 
and as in like their first year. So they're learning how to code in a, a data-friendly language from the start. And that blows my mind because 20 years ago when I was in university, it's like, hey, here, let's learn some Excel. And that was on the fringe. I guess we were at uni at about the same time, and I can relate to a lot of that. What you mentioned, I think, is very interesting for tech entrepreneurs because it's not a solid wall that separates the tech people and the rest. You can cross that bridge, and by investing in yourself and learning enough of the language, just like you can learn some basics of the language to visit or to live in a new country, will make a huge difference. Find at one point, especially if you're in a small team, you might have to hop in and do something. It's just a good skill set to have. Now, going to your expansion plan, and we must remind our listeners that you are at an early stage, awaiting approval, but what are some of the things you already do to grow? I love this Sorry, I don't know where to exactly attribute it to, but it's the idea that fintech companies are just marketing firms that sell financial services. It's in the BDC space and marketing in so huge, right? It's, I, in any industry, but in ours or world, we have such high cost that just to get off the ground. I don't know, we've been really trying to work on not only doing tons of marketing while we're waiting for the, the license to come through, but also to do very detailed analysis of what sticks, what doesn't. Looking at the cost, our, our main metric right now is, well, we have two. It's our gross rate on our early access list, which is around 40% month of the month, and then our cost of acquisition on that list. And um, uh, we like this because, well, it tells us what we're doing, what we're doing wrong. Investors love it because, again, in our space, like you can tell that like the most brilliant idea in the world if we don't have an audience to sell it to. Might as well just write it up as a, as a term paper in school and business plan. Uh, and a lot of that in, in our space, I, mean, I, I think I, I touched on a bit earlier, is that anything in retail investing or finance that is going to be driven. I, I don't, anyone having this super app or uh, investment services, there's been some attempts at it, but I think that really once you can get into owning your outdoors, that's the key. And in that, you do a lot of stuff. Uh, what works really well for us is outdoor to Reddit the company account and just answer questions on the different subreddits in our community. Obviously the rule of Reddit is don't go out and do a sales pitch, but what we're doing instead is I answer the questions from maybe three, 400 words and respond to the replies and hey, drop something that sounds like, uh, if the way this says, we have an early access list, you're interested, you know, feel free to sign up. And that works incredibly well just because people appreciate them getting a valid response and, you know, we come out with a full disclosure, hey, we're this early stage startup and we actually have, you know, experience in this sector. I have a Series 65 license in the U.S. for investment advice, and I have something similar from the CIS side in the U.K. And to have that expertise, that really helps give me community with amateurs and guidance. Not to say like they're, like they're unprofessional, but they're, there's some stuff you see in there that's, ah, that's not correct. So that works really well. And the benefit of that, again, on the marketing side, sometimes, hey, we see something that plays really well. We write maybe 500 words on it. Ah, we turn that into a blog post. And if you want, if we feel, you know, really bold, we'll shoot a little video and throw it on this center. Otherwise, what we're doing here is also working on our community, our physical community. For us, you know, since selling in the existing space is very hard, especially when you have a spread out audience. But we say, hey, well, where is our audience? Where do they congregate? 
Now, where do they work? Well, it's co-working spaces. And it's not only just the remote workers in there, but it's also as the, the bigger words, like the new words, uh, and the spaces of the world, they're hosting startups, but both early stage and ones that are in growth, they're hosting international companies that are setting offices and we seem partnering with them to offer our services in a sort of a community perk. It's a really effective way to get those leads. I mean, we've done, you know, here in Barcelona, it's, we're a hub for, for people coming both from the North to live permanently and just remote workers and it's from nomads. They all flock there. So not only are we building those partnerships there with them, after distribution, but we also do events. The way that we just talk about invest, talk about money management. We have a lot of fun with that. Like we did this one, our, we realized like we start throwing in the word investing and get really technical to get a lot of bros to come out. A lot of guys who are looking to deliver an next hot trading tip. And that's absolutely not what we're about. What we're about is helping like they have to think of gifts into the retail market that knows investing is important, but it doesn't want to become an expert and fighting that. So they don't want to become an active trader. Uh, which I think is a very underserved market. You know, every wealth tech in Europe, if we see space, should be thinking about that. So yeah, so we realized, hey, we should invest in if we're enough. Maybe not the audience we want. Uh, and we decided to do like a little meetup called Wine and Well, where we go to what these wonderful places here in Barcelona called the Bodega. It's uh, pretty much these places where you can buy wine by the liter into a jug, two euros. If the leader, it's fantastic. And yeah, you know, going to our co-working space, let's have some wine, let's pot some money, let's pot five years from And yeah, we had a much more greater balance of uh, much more towards our content on saying again, you build this community. Building up these communities for us, you know, getting onto the online space has been very beneficial in terms of acquiring users. You learn a lot. You to talk, you go to a with in these sessions. From a product point of view, you can turn tons of stuff. You learn like what sticks, what doesn't, what you're looking for. It. Uh, it's a wonderful time. Plus, it's usually wine left over. No, that's great. No, that's great. There's so many fish over there. That reminds me of an excellent Substack, The Fintech Takes by Alex Johnson, where he mentions two key paths for growth for fintech. One is community, and the other one is embedding and removing friction. You're in the space of wealth building for the community of people that are living abroad. How do you see this evolving in the near future? If we believe the prophecies that remote working is going to be the future and people do want to go work in a different country, I think there's a, there is a lot of opportunity there. I, I think the fact that, that the solution, especially prior to Nitro 2, was uh, either you have to be very wealthy and you could have these personalized advisors who will switch you in these wonderful structured products that do work, but a couple hundred thousand just a bit, you know, in the building. Or you're going to use very offshore expat insurance salesmen. I see the fact that we had to do out here and the fact that regulations are getting clearer and there's becoming an even more broader universe of investing products for retail investors. I see that. If we're able to, again, speak to that community, explain how this works to them and make sure it's managed from not only the day to day, but throughout the entire life cycle of the client's investment. I think there's a lot of potential there, but I, I, again, it goes down to the community. There's some really interesting stuff in our space around taxes, somewhat in banking as well, although that's uh, a different pain point. And, and you can see that in like in the Instagram community, you know, we, we're on there as much as we can do as as it being conceived. As, yeah, there's a lot of information caught there. I think in terms of investing, it's a matter of reaching them and getting them to trust us. 
again, due to the previous situations where you had only the choice between the very expensive advisor and that insurance and the expand insurance, uh, there's they're absolute opposite of trust. Uh, it, it's very hard to, to convince people, give your money to us or trust us with your wealth. And it's in a very you know, delicate cluster. The better we can convince people to trust in our loan service and say, hey, this is for you and this is part of the community, the better it will be. And the more that, that into the market, uh, I think it's better for the community in general. I'm, I speak that as a person who has been using the service. So the future of work and the future of investing will evolve together, right? And as I always say, even if the markets are gloomy, that future is bright because there's so much more we can do and do it cheaper, etc. Now, what would be your alternative career path? My wife told me I'm not allowed to start another company, but I would probably start a e-commerce. I have some ideas around there, which again, it's cutthroat and PPC. There was a part of me that really wanted to be a documentarian. Uh, I guess I could still hop into that. Great. Thank you very much. All the best for your upcoming launch. And for more information, you'll find the links to Abroaden in the show notes. Oh, thank you very much for having me.